welcome to the Selfish Bond Podcast. A podcast for you so you don't get burnt out like a mother. I'm your host, Ali Kay, and this is the Selfish Mom Podcast. Learn to prioritize your mental and physical health first so we can thrive and not just survive. Let's take action, become our best selves together, and redefine selfish as the most selfless thing we could do. Welcome to the Selfish Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Allie Kay, and on this episode, if you are a female, this episode is for you. I sat down with Carly Hartwig. She is a holistic, reproductive health practitioner and soon-to-be certified fertility awareness educator, and she taught me so much. We talked about hormones, our cycles, how we can sync our cycles to our daily life. We also talked about products that are in our household and our lives that might be disrupting our health as well as our children's health. And this just was the episode where you can learn so much and start applying what you learned from this episode into your life and start feeling a little better. But a little bit about Carly, she has a passion for helping women understand their incredible menstrual cycles and have pain-free periods. As a former educator turned full-time mama who has been on her own personal health journey for over a decade now, she uses her Instagram platform to educate on the importance of choosing low-tox products and share practical, holistic health tips. Her goal is to be your trusted source for living well, and this episode, she shares it all. Stick around. Hey, Carly, welcome to the Selfish Mom Podcast. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored. So tell me a little bit about your journey, who you are, your background, because we are going to dive in on all the things, (laughs) hormone cycle syncing. I really feel like the foundation for women's health. Yeah. Uh, Things that I didn't really know about until I was 30. Um, I'm 36 now for reference, but yeah, it's been a journey. That's definitely a great way to describe like the last maybe decade or so for me. Um, I think my journey started out similarly to a lot of um, women around my age or a little younger where um, we went on birth control, not really thinking about it, not really thinking about the future or our hormone health or our nutrients or anything like that. Like it was just kind of a thing that you did. Um, I was on the pill for years. I got an IUD because my OB was like, hey, IUDs are great and you don't have to think about it. And it's not painful at all, which was a lie, by the way. It was like (laughs) excruciatingly painful to get in. But anyways, um, then I started in my like early 20s, I started just not feeling great. Like I had no energy. I used to like be pretty athletic and be able to work out really hard. And I stopped being able to. And I just felt like dead all the time. I was getting headaches all the time. I was cold all the time. So I went to my PCP. Um, I think I was like maybe 23 at the time and she ran like some blood work, but it was kind of like, eh, everything looks fine. You know, you're like the pillar of health. And I was like, well, that's weird. Cause I don't feel like the pillar of health. I feel pretty awful. Um, 
And so I decided to get a second opinion and I started working with a functional medicine practitioner and she changed my life. And, um, Turns out I had a pretty crazy hormone imbalance going on. I had hypothyroidism. I had a lot of heavy metal, metals in my body. And it was just, it was really eye-opening to me that there was like another way to look at health, like really holistically, looking at your whole body, talking about your hormones and things like that. So that was kind of the beginning of the journey for me in terms of like my own health journey. And then a few years later, I decided, you know, I made a lot of changes and I started looking at like the products I was using in my home, you know, because I had always thought about my diet and the food I ate. I knew that that affected my health. I didn't know that like my cleaning products and my candles and my skincare, you know, affected my health. So I started kind of, you know, making little changes here and there. Um, And then a few years uh, after I first started working with my new practitioner, I decided to get my ID out. Wow. Just, just because, and I was in a very committed relationship at the time. I think I was engaged to my now husband um, and we were not trying to get pregnant. We were planning our wedding, but I kind of wanted to see like, Hey, I've been on birth control for, you know, the better part of a decade and a half at this point. Like, is this impacting me at all? Like my mood, my anxiety, things like that. So I decided to go off as a little bit of an experiment for my health And I will never forget the day I went into my OB's office for my annual and um, she asked me like, you know, what we were planning on doing with kids and all the things. And I was like, actually, I'd like to get my IUD out today. And she's like, oh, are you going to be trying to get pregnant? And I was like, nope, (laughs) just, you know, just want to see like if it's impacting me at all. And she laughed and she told me to go on a prenatal because I was definitely going to get pregnant. So that was a fun, fun moment. Oh, I feel like so many women are in the same boat where, you know, going on a on birth control at like 15, 16, yeah. it's a it, it's a no-brainer, you know? Yeah. And I think now the evidence is really coming to light mm-hmm. as far as the long-term effects birth mm-hmm. control can have over right. your health. And I definitely want to dive into it, but I want to take a few steps back because I think a lot of women are also in the position that you were where they go to the doctor, you Mm -hmm. know, they get the basic blood panel, they test Mm -hmm. their thyroids and stuff, thyroids, and then everything comes back normal. But people don't realize that there's more markers to be tested. Mm -hmm. And that's where you went to the functional, you know, Mm -hmm. medicine. So can you just talk a little bit more about your experience with that, what they tested for, and just just for people who don't really understand that there is an alternative. So functional medicine, I think people have this like misconception that it's all this like woo woo, you know, like mm-hmm. Eastern kind of Chinese medicine stuff. And, and there are definitely components of like more Eastern medicine. However, um, functional medicine isn't here to be like, Hey, Western medicine doesn't have a place and you should never take medicine and you should never, you know, take prescriptions and you should always just look to like more holistic kind of things. Um, there's really a nice, like middle place, right? Where to me, the biggest difference with a functional approach, which is also what I do with my clients is you're looking more holistically at your body. So let's say like you're having really bad abdominal pains, um, and you don't necessarily correlate it with your cycle, but it just keeps happening and you're not really sure why. Instead of only looking at your like abdominal pain as a symptom, a functional medicine practitioner is going to look at your whole body. So how is everything functioning together? Because things aren't like 
you know, super cut and dry with your body and, and everything is so interconnected, especially with women, our hormones, they pretty much always play a role in whatever we're dealing with. And so a functional medicine practitioner is going to look at your body more globally. And typically that does involve, at least in the beginning, a lot of blood work, right? Because they're looking at a lot of different nutrient, nutrient levels. Um, typically functional medicine providers will look at a full thyroid panel, whereas a lot of PCPs will just check your TSH, but TSH is just basically scratching the surface of your thyroid health. And we know that, um, honestly, hundreds of thousands of women are, are walking around in the U.S. with a thyroid disorder and they don't know. Um, and women, especially of like childbearing age and um, pregnancy and postpartum and things like that, our hormones can really impact our thyroid health. And so if you're not looking at the whole picture, you could see blood work that says you're fine but you're missing out on the rest of it. And so that was the biggest difference for me. My PCP kept saying my thyroid was fine, but all she looked at was TSH and not the rest of the markers. And so when I started seeing my functional medicine practitioner, that was one of the first things she did, right? Was look at my full thyroid panel. And it turns out I had hypothyroidism. I have a woman in my life who's been dealing with debilitating symptoms forever with her cycles, with headaches, with fatigue, and finally, um, after years of searching uh, for answers, she started seeing a functional medicine practitioner as well. Turns out she has Hashimoto's, um, oh, which wow. is a very specific thyroid disorder um, actually caused by an autoimmune disease, also very common in women, especially in women of childbearing age. So it's like we just we have to be looking at the bigger picture, especially with women's health. Yeah. And I love how you, how you touched upon, you know, holistic medicine, you know, there's a balance for mm -hmm. it, you know, there's yeah. a middle ground for it, that. And I truly believe in that as well. And yeah. I think it's also important to understand, you know, our healthcare system in America is based upon a sick model, you know, mm -hmm. that's different mm -hmm. versus the holistic perspective where you're getting to the root cause, you exactly. know, really supporting yep. your body's, you know, natural way of healing and functioning yes. and all Absolutely. that. So I love, I love that you said that. Absolutely. Let's dive into hormones. I'm a 34 yeah. year old mother of three. And I feel like I didn't really start paying attention to my hormones or even like psych, like sinking my cycle mm -hmm. until a year ago. Yeah. And what a life changing thing. Why yeah. are we not taught yeah. this in high school when we get our periods? I know. I mean, I, and at least in my school, we were taught that we could get pregnant at any time. And that was that. Um, yep. They gave us some tampons, <laughs> I think. And we were supposed to like, hide them in our sleeve. And that was about the extent of it. And, you know, I think about like my mom, like we had a lot of talks about like periods and things like that, but that's it. That's where it stopped. It was about mm -hmm. your period. And I think where we are now learning is the big event is ovulation and ovulation right. is so sensitive to our hormones, our hormone health, to stressors in the environment, to our stress levels, to even like alcohol consumption, caffeine consumption, right? And so we have to stop thinking about it as like just a period and just a, a bleed every month and start thinking about it as ovulation, which is not just important if you're trying to get pregnant. It is truly like the crux of our health. And I think there's a lot of um, practitioners out there that refer to our menstrual cycle as the fifth vital sign. And oh. I wholeheartedly believe that because it is truly as important as our breathing, as our heart rate, right? As our blood pressure, it is truly that important when it comes to our health. And what happens is a lot of us shut off our cycles with birth control, not knowing. So I, I can tell you personally, I did not know when I was on the pill and my IUD, it was a hormonal IUD. I had no idea that my bleed every month wasn't a period. 
I thought oh, it was, wow. I thought it was, I thought it was, and my OB definitely didn't make it clear that it wasn't. But when you were on combined contraceptives, um, so like a hormonal birth control pills, certain IUDs, um, it's shutting down ovulation. And if you don't ovulate, you don't have a period. And so when you're on a hormonal birth control that shuts down your cycles, you don't have that kind of report card of your health, right? Right. But once you come off, which I see a lot of women, unfortunately, waiting until right before they try to conceive to come off, which is a little tricky because we know that hormonal birth control depletes your nutrients. We know that nutrient stores are really important for pregnancy. So I always recommend coming off at least three to six months before trying to conceive. But anyways, that's another whole topic we could talk about. Um, But basically, once a woman comes off and she starts to have a cycle again, a lot of times she starts to have these symptoms that maybe years ago she went on birth control to heal, right? That's a big right. thing. Like we're put on birth control to heal our acne. We're put on birth control to heal our heavy periods or our painful cramps. When really think of birth control as like a band-aid, right? It's going to stop the symptoms because it's going to stop ovulation, right? Wow. It's putting synthetic hormones into your body. It is not healing anything. When mentioned before, like root cause, right? There is always a root cause to a woman's pain. And it's just wild to me that in the society, we have literally normalized pain, right? Like right. women go to their doctors and complain about like headaches or bad cramps and we just normalize them. We tell them to right. take ibuprofen or go on the pill. And it's just, it's insane to me. So my biggest takeaway, hopefully to people is that pain is not normal and you should not be in pain every month with your cycle, right? That is a clear sign of a hormone imbalance. And unfortunately, a lot of us are walking around with hormone imbalances and we have no idea. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. So what are the some of the things because I, I have a lot of friends, you know, who are coming off birth control mm-hmm. and, you know, one week they're having heavy periods. The next week they're like spotting, you know, their body's just really going crazy. Yeah. How, what can they do to kind of be supportive of this? I know you mentioned, you know, we're depleted of nutrients. So, you mm-hmm. know, what are just some of the ways that we can support our bodies as we recover and what can we expect for like the months to come and how mm-hmm. do we know when it's leveled out? Yeah, so it's it's probably going to take a while. I mean, there are some variabilities. Your your health before you went on birth control is a big one. Your reproductive health, your menstrual cycles, um, and also your diet, your lifestyle. Um, I hate to be like the bearer of bad news because we live in such a pro alcohol society, but like alcohol is not doing any favors for our hormone hormone health. So uh, there are definitely a lot of factors. You could come off the pill and you could ovulate two weeks and get your period two weeks later. You could also come off the pill and not get a period for a year. So I think women need to know that going into it, because I think if you don't get your period right away, it might scare you a little bit, like what's going on. But truly, you've suppressed your body's natural hormones, and it's going to take a little while for them to come back to like homeostasis. So some things that can help really like low hanging fruit, eating enough. We have far too many women in this country under eating, right? Because we live, uh, unfortunately, in a society that 
really values thinness over health. And so we have women under eating and where I see a lot of women under eating particularly is fats. It's like, we can't escape like the nineties fear of fat, you know, all the yeah. low fat and snack wells and all those things. Um, so please eat, eat enough. Um, protein and fats are definitely the most important. Our hormones are dependent on fat. They're fat soluble. So if we don't have enough fat in our diet, our hormones will not be as robust as they should be. So I think really focusing in on that diet, blood sugar balance is hugely related to hormone health. So just thinking like, what are some easy things I can do to try to keep my blood sugar in a, in a good place? Because a lot of us are dealing with like insulin resistance or borderline insulin resistance. And it's usually because we eat a lot of like, we call them naked carbs, right? So our sugary Starbucks drinks or, um, our bagel for breakfast, right? Think about how can I like bolster up my carbs so it's not naked. So adding protein and fat to every meal is a really easy way to support your overall health and also your hormone health. And then a big one um, that impacts especially uh, our estrogen, and we need a good balance of estrogen to progesterone. First half of our cycle, estrogen is the dominant hormone. So that's like pre-ovulation. That's what leads to our bodies producing cervical mucus. It allows us to be fertile. It, It helps our egg get released. And then after ovulation, estrogen drops and progesterone increases. And that should be our dominant hormone for the second half. So there needs to be a really delicate balance between the two hormones. And there are these things called endocrine disrupting chemicals. Mm, And they are found everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Everything. Literally everywhere. They're in our skincare. They're in our makeup. They're in our cleaning Mm -hmm. products, in our air fresheners, like you name it, like they are there. And so that can, I know, feel a little overwhelming to hear, but the good news is I would say now compared to when I first started my journey back in my early twenties, there are a lot of really great Uh, clean, less toxic options out there without those endocrine disrupting chemicals. And what those endocrine disrupting chemicals do, they can, they can wreak havoc a lot of ways, but they can mimic hormones in our bodies. So then our bodies are like, oh, we have enough estrogen. We don't need to produce it anymore. You know, um, they can actually tell our bodies to turn off the production of hormones. They can tell our bodies to increase the production of hormones. Like they can do crazy things to our bodies and, like I said, they can pretty much be found in anything. So trying to reduce your exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals, there are some easy things you can do. It sounds crazy, but um, thermal receipt paper. So like if you're grocery shopping, you're at the mall, I know you take a receipt, right? If you can avoid that, that's like one of our um, number one sources of bisphenol exposure, like BPA. Uh A lot of people have probably heard about that. It's kind of a buzz term, but there are other bisphenols that are just as harmful. So not just BPA, but literally just saying no to receipt or trying to touch it really fast, throw it in your purse, not using hand sanitizer or lotion before you touch a receipt. It sounds so woo woo, but I promise you there are studies to show that uh, thermal receipt paper is a huge source of exposure of bisphenols. And if we have our hands a little bit wet before, like with hand sanitizer or lotion, that'll expedite the process of them like getting into our blood system. That's crazy. But that's okay. I never knew that. I actually, Mm -hmm. I think I saw a TikTok on this and then I like didn't dive deeper Mm -hmm. into it, but I never take a receipt. So now, yeah, yeah, we're saving, we're saving the trees and we're not (laughs) getting the endocrine disruptors. I want to back up just a little bit. So let's say we come off our our birth control, our bodies have leveled. Mm -hmm. I want to talk just about cycle syncing and the most kindergarten way as far as like, understanding what's going on 
for 28 days in our cycle because I have been trying to educate my husband and tell him <laughs> I am not the same person. Every single yeah. day I wake up a different person. Yeah. And ever since I started sinking, you know, my, my period and just becoming aware of it. Like I know a week before my period, I am not scheduling any work meetings mm -hmm. or any like big things. And I could see just the up and down throughout mm -hmm. the entire mm -hmm. month once you become aware of it. So I just yeah. want to dive deep into this yeah. just to get a better understanding. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you're working to educate your husband because like they should know too. And like, I, I yes. talk a lot about like, you know, I have a daughter and I feel very honored and privileged that I get to raise her to know her body, to understand her body, to know what her hormones mean, what her cervical mucus yes. means. But I think young boys need to learn all this stuff too. Right. So yes. it really like, we have to do better for this generation. Yes. But anyways, so we are not meant to live in our current society. Our society no. is built around men who have a 24 hour circadian rhythm, right? So we do not only have a 24 hour rhythm. We have something called an infradian rhythm and that's our menstrual cycle rhythm. So as you mentioned, a lot of women, you know, think about like 28 days as a cycle. That's obviously like a, uh, maybe a midpoint, but it can also be normal to have a little bit shorter, a little bit longer. So I just want to let women know, um, if it's too long or too short, that tends to be a sign that something's going on with your hormones, but there is some variability there, but either way, we have um, four really distinct phases in our cycle. Cycle day one is always day one of your period and the true day one. So if you spot a little bit, which some spotting right before your period isn't a huge red flag if there's a lot of spotting or there's spotting mid-cycle. Again, that's just kind of a red flag to me and that would be something I would want to dig a little bit deeper with someone on. But day one of your period is day one of your cycle. Typically, women bleed for, on average, like three to seven days. Four to five is pretty normal. In a healthy cycle, you would expect it to start more heavy, moderate bleeding, and then uh, taper down to a lighter bleeding at the end. So that would be our menstrual phase, right? Our menstrual cycle, our actual bleed, our menstruation. And then after that, um, we enter our pre-ovulatory phase, which is our follicular phase. And during this phase, again, estrogen is dominant. We typically have a little bit more energy. We typically just feel like more ourselves. This is the time to get things done, right? Work mm -hmm. on that to-do list, crush those like intense workouts if you feel up to it. So this would be the time in your cycle. I would recommend things like um, cardio workouts, dance workouts, like even a little bit of hit, um, but nothing too crazy. And I would, I personally recommend keeping like really intense workouts to 30 minutes. Even if you're in really good health, because that's just pretty depleting on your hormones, but follicular phase is typically like, we think of it as spring, right? Like everything's yes. blossoming. We feel really good. Typically our libidos are higher, right? Because naturally our bodies do want to conceive. And this is the phase that leads into our ovulation or ovulatory phase. Ovulatory phase, again, is where we have a pretty distinct change in our hormones. We have estrogen peaking and then dropping really, really fast, and we have progesterone rising. Mm -hmm. So right before ovulation, during ovulation, again, we'll typically see even more energy. Um, so these are times that like a lot of um, cycle syncing experts will talk about eating like more raw foods, making sure you're getting amounts of protein and things like that, because you're going to have more energy to burn. And then after ovulation is what we call our luteal phase. Mm. And the first um, half of your cycle, so menstruation through ovulation, that can be variable. 
So as I mentioned before, ovulation is very sensitive to stressors, to being sick, even to traveling. I know we change clocks in a couple of weeks. That can impact ovulation. Ovulation is very, very sensitive. So there can be variability there, right? But our luteal phase, the second half of our cycle, should be very, very constant. And it should be about 12 to 14 days long. And during this time, progesterone is higher, which means our body's metabolism is higher, which means you need to eat more. So a lot that of women, makes yeah, sense. it's crazy. And I think a lot of women, like if they start to pay attention to it, they realize intuitively they do feel more hungry or like yeah. that week before your period, like you'll be like craving things at night. And it's like, well, maybe that's just because you need to eat a little bit more, right? Your body yeah. truly is burning more calories. So typically women need about two to four or two to 500 more calories during that luteal phase. I know. Okay. This is mind blowing. I never knew your metabolism speeds up. You need to burn more. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is like why this is basic common knowledge of how (laughs) our body, it's like clockwork, but yet we don't understand it. Okay. Keep going. And I think, yeah. yeah. And I think like I used to be a cycle instructor, um, I toss spin and I remember like there were times after birth control when I actually was cycling. I remember there would be times I would teach at night and I would come home and just tell my husband, like, I I'm so dead. I don't feel energized from that workout. I feel pretty awful, you know, like super fatigued. And other times I would come home feeling like, you know, I just ran a marathon, a marathon. I had all those endorphins, right? All the adrenaline. And then it's like, now I look back and I think, oh, I must've been in my luteal phase. And I was trying to do a 60 minute, super intense oh. spin ride. Right. And so I think like exercise is definitely, in my opinion, the easiest way to cycle sync right? Because I think people really like rules. And so those are, those are pretty clear rules to follow, right? So that second half of our cycle, our luteal phase post-ovulation, our progesterone is dominant. Our estrogen is very low, which typically correlates with a little bit lower energy. We don't want to deplete our progesterone too much. So this is the time for slower paced workouts. So strength training is really great. Yoga, Pilates, walking, um, the, the week before your period, especially a lot of women feel really low energy. So Mm -hmm. it's just about like listening to your body and tuning in and like tapping into that really powerful intuition. It's there. It's just been dampened in a society. That's all about that rat race, right? The 24 hours we're trying to go, go, go. Like we, we can, sure we can do that, but we're going to deplete ourselves and we're not going to feel good. Right. So that second half of your cycle, a lot of warming foods is really great, especially leading up to your period where we know we're going to lose some blood. We're going to lose some iron. Um, if you're a meat eater, this is definitely a great time for like slow cooked meats and stews and bone broths and things like that. So this is also the time where you want to look at your calendar and you don't want to book anything crazy. Like if you have to take an exam or you're going to be recording a podcast and you're nervous about it, like this is not the time to do it, right? Your luteal phase. Um, and then obviously during your menstrual phase, our hormones are our lowest. And so typically women feel their best doing really low intensity exercise, making sure they're eating again, getting in that like really iron rich food to help with the blood loss, things like that. So it's like, once you start really paying attention to your cycle parameters, it all just makes sense. Like you won't have to think like, oh, this is the time to get stuff done because you just feel it naturally. Right. Versus like later in your cycle. But yeah, cycle syncing is incredible. And it's definitely a great way to support your hormone health. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, always the first of the month, and this is before I knew anything, the first of the month, you know, I would establish my goals, what I'm working for Mm -hmm. towards, you know, for the whole month. And I would be like really consistent on my grind. I'd be feel so good. And then it was always, you know, the third week out of the month was, which is when I was, you know, essentially PMSing Mm -hmm. that I was so hungry. I would want Mm -hmm. all the things it would throw me off. Yeah. And then I'd feel so low. And then, you know, a week, two weeks later, I'm back on top and it was the Mm -hmm. first of the month, you know, and it was just like, and always evaluating. I'm like, wow, how can I do things differently? But that was my cycle. That was my body. So it's interesting once you learn that and how you can start applying it to your Mm -hmm. everyday life. Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned fats um, before. Mm -hmm. Can you just give some examples of some great fats that we can incorporate into our lives? Because it's like you said, as women, we always stray away from these fats. And I I don't think enough of us are aware of like, what are our options? Yeah. Well, first of all, please don't ever buy fat-free salad dressing. I think so many women Mm -hmm. eat their salad and they put fat-free salad dressing on, but vegetables, the nutrients in vegetables are fat soluble. So if you don't have a fat with your salad, your body's not even going to be able to really process all of those really great nutrients. So um, put some olive oil on your salad, first of all, you know, and whatever else you want to taste good. Um, I like, you know, eggs have great sources of fat, Um, avocados, nuts, nut butter, not fearing like the nut butters, you know, because they're higher in calories, like they're going to be more satiating too. And that's the thing. When you start adding more fat to your diet, you'll naturally typically like stop wanting to snack and maybe even eat a little less because it's keeping you fuller longer. So protein and fat are definitely like the biggest priorities. Um, But then I think, again, this is all because of the nineties and we just can't escape it. But a lot of women still fear saturated fat and we have enough science to show that that is not the problem. So don't be afraid of, like I said, you know, cooking with butter instead of, you know, if you just want to always cook with oil, you can cook with butter sometimes. Like a really good grass-fed butter is a great source. Um, coconut oil is another great source. So your cooking fats are great. So don't, don't, you know, spray your, um, your cookware with like Pam, you know, like use right. real olive oil. We're adults now, we can use real cooking fats. So that's a really easy way is just even like you're cooking. And then of course, like there's some great, um, you know, higher fat meat options that again, I would incorporate like a slow cooked beef, you know, stew in my luteal phase. And there's some healthy fats in that too. We'll be back after a quick break. Did you know that family travel has the incredible power to shape our children's worldview and create lasting memories? In a world where representation is often lacking, it's essential for our children to see themselves reflected in every aspect of life, including the stories we tell about travel. Introducing the Travel of Legacy podcast, where we're rewriting the script by celebrating the diverse voices of black and brown family travelers. Each episode of Travel of Legacy is a testament to the enriching power and the joy of exploration in black and brown communities. So journey with us and subscribe now. So I want to go back to the endocrine disruptors because yeah. I feel like I'm definitely entering my crunchy mom era. Love I like it. to say it's scrunchy because, you know, there's so much that we can't control. It's everywhere. So I mm-hmm. feel like I just kind of grab what is manageable, you know, yeah. what I can redu- reduce and what's manable- manageable. Mm-hmm. And I know it can be so overwhelming for yeah. women because there's so much out there. So what would you say are like the top five products or things? 
to stay away from? I know like mm-hmm. one thing that you just said was, you know, not taking the receipts. The receipts what are yeah. some others <laughs> that you could just start doing today where it's yeah. a little less overwhelming? Yeah. So the receipts is a great one. Another easy way to reduce your exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals is to ditch fragrance. So synthetic fragrance. So um, this is, it can feel like a hard one, but I actually think this is easier because you read your labels. If you see the term fragrance, when that, whatever it is, if it's your laundry, if it's um, your dish soap, when you get to the end of that bottle, just find one that discloses all ingredients because there's something called the fragrance loophole, which basically Mm -hmm. allows companies in the U.S. to hide any combination of thousands of chemicals in their products. And they can call it um, fragrance because it's proprietary, right? So they don't want other companies stealing their scent. But the problem is we have research to show that on average, one fragrance blend is 14 additional ingredients So if you're reading a label, you got to add 14 ingredients to that. And there is at least a 75% chance that one of those ingredients is something called phthalates. Phthalates are um, a class of known endocrine disrupting chemicals. And they're particularly risky when it comes to fertility. And this is uh, even with like men's fertility. Um, We know that phthalates are impacting like sperm health and sperm counts. I know we are focusing on women, but just to keep that in the back of your head. So if you see fragrance on ingredient label, Next time you go to the store and you're out, choose a product that lists all ingredients, right? So there are some great companies that list all ingredients and they don't care if it's not proprietary. So that's a really, really easy one. I would also say um, reducing your consumption of canned food. So even if an aluminum can label says BPA-free, again, BPA Mm -hmm. is kind of a buzzword right now, and it's um, Mm -hmm. companies take advantage of that, right? They know that people are starting to pay attention a little bit more to the labels. And so they'll boast BPA-free, but again, the problem is there are additional bisphenols that are harmful. So I know that canned food is more accessible when it comes to price. I just encourage families to not eat canned food every day, right? So like if you're going to have a big chili on Sunday and you're going to have, you know, your canned tomatoes, right? Which we know that the acid in tomatoes can actually um, expedite the leaching process out of cans. So if you can find a box tomato instead, you know, that's great. Um, And you're going to have a ton of beans and all the things like maybe you don't eat canned food again for a few more days, you know? Um, Or maybe you soak dry beans. That's actually cheaper anyways. And it's really easy if you have an instant pot. So just like things like that. So trying to rotate your foods, you're not eating canned food every day. Um, Ditching air fresheners. Yes. My husband is so guilty of this, like the trees in his cars. Oh, Oh, it gives me asthma. Yes. Yeah. Just thinking about it. So when you think about the purpose of an air freshener, right, it's to have a scent that lingers. It's the same thing with like dryer sheets, right? Dryer sheets are another great one to switch. There's wool dryer balls you can buy. They work fine and they don't have a scent and it's it's great and they're completely clean and safe. But anyways, the goal of things like air fresheners or uh, dryer sheets, it's to have a scent linger. And typically when a scent lingers, it's because of those phthalates. Phthalates are mm. what keep a scent to stick. Right. So ditching the candles. Um, there are some cleaner options. I will say like, there's some great beeswax candles out there. Beeswax Mm -hmm. is really good for your indoor air, kind of purifies it. Most of them are made with like high quality essential oils. That's definitely a better option. You can also just dish them all together. I think people are like, Oh, it's so expensive to like live a low tax lifestyle. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to buy the 
really wonderful beeswax candles, you can just not burn candles in your home. But right. even stop just, buying like, the $20 candles from Target. I'm telling yeah. you, they add up. <laughs> yeah, they do. And even I think about like all the Bath and Body Works products I use, like yeah. that's a really oh. easy one. If there's anyone out there still going to Bath and Body Works, just like <laughs> stop and your yep. hormones will be in a better place. <laughs> but I think about all the Bath and Body Works candles I bought and burned, even if they're just sitting in your house, not being lit. They're mm-hmm. releasing this thing called volatile organic compounds into the air. You're breathing them in. We know there's phthalates in there. So just curb them. And we're coming up to the holidays. And for some reason, I think the holidays, a lot of people gift candles. Just yep. don't gift candles, right? Um, so ditching those air fresheners. <laughs> and again, there are some clean, non-toxic air fresheners out there, right? There are some great brands. Um, what's the really good one? I'm going to blank on it. I think, oh, grow fragrance, grow fragrance makes really clean air fresheners. But for me, like I've gotten so used to just not having my house smell like something, I don't necessarily need them. But if someone like lives or breathes by Febreze, I would much rather have them use grow fragrance spray than Febreze, Right. right? When it comes to like their hormone health, their respiratory health. So that's another easy one to do. And then um, the last one I would say would be like your personal care products. So your skincare and your makeup. Um, A lot of skincare and makeup brands use um, endocrine disrupting chemicals. Mm. So just trying to choose a less toxic brand. And again, it's becoming easier and easier. Like there are great options at Target, you know? So we're getting there. We're getting there where hopefully the goal is one day you can walk into a store and not have to be a detective and read ingredient labels. Um, We've had some updated legislation pass in recent years, and I'm feeling hopeful about the future. But right now, unfortunately, you still kind of have to be a little sleuthy when you're shopping and read those labels. Yeah, it's interesting. You just have to be an advocate for yourself and your children. And yeah. and like I said, you know, I feel like I just started this journey of just waking up and becoming aware a year ago. And I want, you know, everyone who's listening, we're not saying go into your house and throw out all these no. products. It's definitely a progression mm-hmm. and a reduction of how yeah. you can incorporate less into your life. Yes. And it definitely builds as you go. You get yes. more interested. And I yeah. think the overall thing is you just start feeling good. Okay. So I was talking about the reduction. It doesn't have to just go overnight. (laughs) So I like to tell people this because, um, I think it gives them some hope and some confidence. I have been on my journey now for over 12 years. And first of all, I am still making swaps, right? Because new and better brands are coming out. When I first started, I was cleaning my kitchen with like white vinegar, right? Distilled white (laughs) vinegar. And it smelled awful, even if I like put some lemon in it. And now there are really great cleaning brands that work just as better as the conventional products I used to use. But what I will say is the way that I've done my journey is one product at a time, because Mm -hmm. I when I started out, I was in my twenties. I had a lot of student loans. Like I couldn't just throw away everything in my house and start over. So literally it's as it's easy as you run out of dish soap, you find a safer option. And if people want some resources to do that, Environmental Working Group and uh, Clearia, C-L-E-A-R-Y-A, they have some amazing websites and apps that will help you find safer products. Cleary is great because you can actually like scan products at Target, at Sephora, like they work with a lot of different companies. Um, But anyways, I've literally done it one at a time. So I would run out of dish soap. I would find a safer option. Done. And maybe I loved that brand or maybe I would run out of that brand and then I would try to find a different one. Um, I, you know, ran out of foundation. I would find a cleaner option. So it really doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. You don't have to, you know, destroy your checkbook to do this. Um, But I encourage people to just start because we have some really promising data to show that in just three days of using products free from 
certain endocrine disrupting chemicals, including phthalates and parabens. The uh, concentration of these chemicals in uh, people's bodies, specifically we have a study on young girls, which we know young girls are especially susceptible to the effects of these chemicals as their bodies are starting to go through puberty. Um, they decreased in just three days by like some of them 43%, some of them more than 60% in just a wow. few days of using safer products. Wow. So if you're waiting for a sign, let it this be that. This is your like, sign. It and really I think does make a difference. It does. And I think it's so important because a lot of people, and I, I learned this with just like eliminating alcohol in my life, mm. is you don't truly understand what it feels like to feel good. You yes. know, how yes. you're currently feeling is your normal. Mm -hmm. And then when, you know, let's say you just slowly reduce these products or you get off the birth control or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you make that small change, you start becoming aware like, wow, I can, I can feel a little yeah. better yes. and then you want more of it. And that kind of becomes your new baseline, yeah. your new normal. And I think that's overall that intrinsic motivation to start, you know, replacing these products, yeah. which I love that advice. Just do it one product yeah. at a time. Yeah. And it really is like, I had no idea how certain products were impacting like my asthma until I eliminated them from my life. And now I am so wildly sensitive to synthetic fragrance. Like yeah. sometimes it's hard to live in our world, right? I was just on a trip and we went into an Airbnb and I instantly had an asthma attack because the cleaners must have sprayed like Febreze on all of the couches and the beds. Um, we had to cancel our reservation. They were nice enough and gave us a refund and get a hotel. Like it was that extreme because yeah. I don't use synthetic fragrance in my house anymore. And so like, I truly have gotten that sensitive to it, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, and then I think about like my birth control journey. I didn't know how much my birth control was impacting my mood, my anxiety, my mood swings, my libido. Yeah. I had no idea until I went off of it. So I just encourage people, like, think about your health as an experiment, right? We call it like an end of one experiment, right? In the psych world, it's just you and try things and see how you feel. Like for some women, caffeine, excess caffeine, um, especially excess caffeine before food in the morning, that can yeah. really, really impact their hormone health and their yes. moods, right? And yes. caffeine, we know excess caffeine can impact your anxiety, not for all women, but for some. And so yeah. why not just cut it out for a month and yeah. see how you feel or alcohol? I would love all women to cut alcohol out for yeah. a solid month. See how you a feel. Solid see your month. sleep. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, so I had never done the reduction of caffeine before ever in my entire life. Even with my firstborn son, I mm -hmm. had the cup of coffee in the morning. I have never been able to cut caffeine out yeah. and I just did it for over a month. And I'm talking, I, ne I never thought I would be able to go without caffeine. And what I found mm -hmm. is I experienced more energy. And what was wild is I feel like my body leveled out, like my circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. I was able to wake, usually I had a set probably like 10 alarm clocks. I'm talking I snoozed mm -hmm. every 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And at 6 a.m., I would naturally just open my eyes and wake up. Yeah. But at 7, 8 p.m. when the sun went down, I was tired. And usually I would stay up and scroll past midnight because I had yeah. that 3 p.m. Yeah, you know, coffee. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's amazing now that I've experienced that I, I understand my circadian rhythm too. So yeah. I suggest like, just try, even mm -hmm. if you're not going to permanently eliminate it, just yeah. get that baseline of understanding. Mm -hmm. 
And your circadian rhythm is so interconnected with your hormones because when you think about like our circadian rhythm and our cortisol levels, right? Like when you wake up in the morning, your cortisol is naturally highest. And a lot of women will wake up and like get an IV of caffeine basically straight away because they're drinking multiple cups of coffee without anything else in their stomach. So caffeine increases cortisol, right? So your cortisol is already highest in the morning, you wake up, then you're adding caffeine, then it's even higher. And then you think about like your stress response and your anxiety. Well, we know that excess cortisol leads to lower progesterone. And we know that when you have a lower progesterone, right, not only will that impact like your period and how long your luteal phase is, which is really important, especially for women that are trying to conceive, but it can also like impact your overall reproductive health. And um, like, it's just, it's kind of this domino effect. So I've learned so much about how much our circadian rhythm impacts our hormones. And that has led me to make sure I'm delaying my one cup of coffee for a couple of hours after I sleep or after I wake up mm-hmm. in the morning. So making sure I get a good breakfast in first. I've also started doing, and this is a free thing you can do, just getting outside first thing in the morning yes. and getting that daylight on your face. Even if there's not the sun, sun. That does huge things for your circadian rhythm, which will trickle down and have a really positive impact on your hormones too. And trying to get a little bit of evening light is important too, right before bed. So um, I think people like, everyone's on melatonin to help their circadian rhythm. And I'm like, get off the melatonin and get outside. Yeah, you can get that natural hit of melatonin in the evening for sleep. It's it's amazing because I truly believe all what we need is nature and it's free. You know, (laughs) yes, get outside. The sun is your friend. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk about the whole mom perspective of things, like the crunchy mom. So I'm learning, you just posted a post about fluoride Mm. and oh man, I do not allow (laughs) fluoride in my house, you know, and there's now evidence, Yeah. but you know, when you go to the dentist or you go to the pediatrician and you want to do things a little differently, like I remember growing up, my mom would never allow us to have the x-rays from the dentist Mm. every year because of that exposure to the radiation, you know, and it was a big deal. They were mean to her. She had to sign a waiver. Mm -hmm. they almost like bullied her how how do you handle being that mom where you know you could tell your story about going to the dentist and stuff how do you how do you manage that as a mom and advocate for your kid and stand up for what you want to do as the mother I think it comes down to for me like reflecting on my own personal journey with the healthcare industry and how hard I had to advocate for myself. Doctors are amazing. We have incredible doctors in this country who are selfless and they work so hard and they work so long and they have a lot of degrees. I don't think any of them know your body better than you do. And I think we've gotten to a place where um, we sometimes kind of put doctors on this pedestal, right? And just kind of blindly trust them. And what we do when we blindly trust anybody I don't care how much of an expert they are. We stop listening to our own intuition. And so I think about that journey a lot and how hard I had to fight to figure out what was going on with me back in my early 20s. And I don't want that for my daughter. And so my job as her mother is to advocate for what's best for her. And I believe with like every ounce of my being that I know what's best for her, period end of story. So for me, it came down to finding supportive practitioners. So like when we were interviewing pediatricians, I had a lot of questions (laughs) and uh, a big one was, you know, kind of what they thought about like 
my autonomy as a parent and my husband's autonomy as a parent and our choices and our freedoms and things like that. And it was the same thing with a dentist. So when we went to the dentist, my daughter is 18 months now and she was maybe 15 months when we went Mm -hmm. and you know, they looked at her teeth. We talked about brushing and then, um, she said, okay, we'll do the fluoride now. And it was literally as simple as me saying, oh no, we're not going to do fluoride today. Mm-hmm. And she, she kind of looked at me and she was like, oh, okay. And now granted, I know I have a friend who got a lot more pressure than that, but that's where you just have to stand strong and remember that you are your baby's mama and you know what's yes. best. And like, there can be a lot of coercion in the medical industry, especially towards women. And you just have to go in with confidence. Even if you don't feel confident, you got to fake it. Right? right. And so like my friends kind of had to push back on them and they were like, well, why not? And she was like, just because we're not going to do fluoride today, you know? So I think you can be prepared for that, but also don't be too scared because I know for me, it was really easy. She literally just said, okay. And then we moved on and that was it. And nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And my daughter's doing just fine and her teeth are great. (laughs) Right. I liked how you said also you have the power, you're hiring them, you know? So I like how you interviewed, you know, your pediatrician, you had the questions and, you know, there are doctors that more that are aligned out there. And like I said, there's great doctors, but we are, we are the advocates. We know Mm -hmm. our bodies the best. And I love how you took the the stance that you know what is best for your children. For me, I have older kids. Um, My oldest is almost 10. So I think one thing that I'm doing with him, because, you know, you go to school and they're rewarded with Skittles for good Mm. behavior or birthdays and they have the Red 40 dye and, Mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, it's like all the kid products happen to be the worst out there. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I'm trying to do, and we kind of talked about this with the hormones and the cycle, is educating them, Mm -hmm. you know, and have it have some type of understanding because I think I'm getting pushed back with my nine-year-old you know he can't have soda and he's like why you know and you're just restricting where I want him to understand you Mm -hmm. know these are ingredients that are harmful this is your body Mm -hmm. so what what do you see yourself how do you see yourself guiding your daughter as she gets older with all these products and all these things so my goal is going to be to help her understand how these things make her feel. Right. Mm. So like if she wants to binge eat, you know, a bucket of candy on Halloween, which I could rant about our approach to Halloween in this country, but I won't. Also, did you see that? Red <laughs> hey, I'm uh, here for it. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that the Skittles, Skittles are now going to be banned in California because California. of the new legislation that went through? Right. Okay. I I am not a fan of this state of California, but that is one thing that (laughs) I can get behind. I mean, what a progressive thing, especially, you know, in Europe, we know all these chemicals are banned. I think they banned four total, but um, it's going to have a trickle effect. So that's the nice thing. People are like, well, it only affects people in California. No, like manufacturers are not going to make a different product for California than they do for, you know, West Virginia. Um, So yeah, so that's interesting because I think people still think you're crazy if you're like, uh, food diets impact kids' behavior. Yes. Yeah. Big time. People still think you're a little crazy and I'm like, okay, cut it out for a month. Just like we talked about, cut it out for a month of your kid's diet and see if they act differently. I'd be surprised if they didn't. But anyways, um, I, uh, I am also on my own personal recovery from, uh, multiple eating disorders. And, uh, one of them was orthorexia. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Um, it's basically like an obsession with healthy eating that often leads to anorexia nervosa because you're under eating because you're, you're so anxious about eating foods that you don't deem healthy. 
Um, and so for me, I don't want to project that onto my daughter. I don't want her to fear food. I don't want her to fear candy or sweets or things like that. I will say she's only 18 months. So right now I fully control her diet. We've <laughs> yes. not introduced, you know, added sugar yet. And people think that's crazy. We haven't introduced food dyes yet, but it's because I know that she's 18 months and her little gut microbiome is developing and I have full control. And I'm going to take advantage of that. And I know one yes. day she's like you said, she's going to be at a birthday party and she's going to want a cupcake. And while I might not restrict her from eating that cupcake at the birthday party, I'm hoping that I can have a conversation with her later about like, how did that make her body feel? Right. Yes. Or when we eat a breakfast that has eggs in it in the morning versus eating a breakfast of cereal, which is unfortunately what most of our kids eat, at least like my school, that's what we fed our students, two boxes yeah. of like, uh, what's the really fruity fruit loops, right. With some yeah. skim milk. So they're getting no fats and they're getting all sugar and all food dyes and all carbs jacking up their blood sugar first thing in the morning. But anyways, yep. you know, if she decides. And then they want to know why they can't sit down or why Ooh, they're having why they're ADHD so behavior. <laughs> it's just, I'm like, how are we not connecting the dots? But anyways, you know, I think then you have that conversation. Like, how did that make your body feel? Because I can tell you as an adult, there are times that I go on a sugar bender and I feel like crap. And I know yeah. it impacts me and I know I get a headache or even like drinking, you know? So yeah. we we can give them the tools, right. To make the best decisions. But I also know that like eating one cupcake at a birthday party is not going to derail my daughter's health. So I think there's a balance. I'd really struggle with Halloween because I just, I think it's just a weird holiday in general. If you're going to strangers houses and taking candy, it's just very strange, but it is like such an excess amount of candy. And so like, I love that there's like little things that parents do like the switch, witch, or they have their kids trading candy for a toy or a, new video game that they want or something. I think there's creative ways to do it while still allowing them to celebrate a holiday that you want them to, you know? So I think it's a balance, but, um, you know, I also know that I can control what I can control in my house. So right. in our house, I, I never cook with canola oil. I don't cook with mm -hmm. vegetable oils, right? They're very inflammatory. And so I know that if we go out to eat, we're going to be exposed to inflammatory cooking oils. My daughter will be okay. You know, right. but I can control in my house. I don't buy air fresheners in my house. I can't control if she, you know, goes to a friend's house, what she's exposed to. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of, I think we have to treat our home like a little bubble and mm -hmm. we can control everything we can there, food and smells and products. And then I think we, we just trust that they'll be okay when they leave our bubble. <laughs> Yes, they will be okay. And I love, I mean, it's so important. I think the theme with kids, with anything, is just continuing to talk with them yeah. and have them get some type of an understanding why the answer is no or why we do these mm -hmm. things or choose yeah. this, you know, over. And um, I think talking and just discussing will go a long, long way. Mm -hmm. But I love, I love where you're coming from. It's all about balance, you know, yeah. and, and becoming aware. I think just once you become aware and how you can slowly reduce these things yeah. and it just makes such a difference. So Carly, thank you so much for coming you're on. So I welcome. feel like you are going to be one of the guests that you will probably make many appearances on this show <laughs> if you honored. are open to it. <laughs> I love it. I love everything you're doing. That's great. Thank you. Carly, tell them where we can find you on social media. So uh, my main source of uh, social media is over on Instagram. It's clean living with Carly. And then I also have a website, cleanlivingwithcarly.com. So I offer consults. Um, 
mostly to women, um, either about their hormones. I offer like cycle charting instruction one-on-one. And then I also offer consults around low tox living because I know it can be overwhelming. I just met with a mom yesterday, a mom to be, she's pregnant with twins and she wanted to pick my brain on, you know, diapers and different things and clothes and brands and all the stuff. So we did a little consult, which was a lot of fun. So yeah. And I, I do a lot with my Instagram. I try to make it educational and um, sometimes a little fun, but it's a really great community over there. Really happy to have yeah. it. Yes. You add so much value. I know you're one of my favorite pages that I love scrolling. Thank so thank you for thank coming you so on the show. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of the Selfish Mom Podcast. I will catch you next week. Bye.